Hallelujah. But this morning, I want to speak to the church about something that the Lord has laid in my life. When I gave them the theme or the topic for the message, I wanted to speak about, you know, the impact of the work of the Holy Spirit. The impact of the work of the Holy Spirit. Yesterday in the afternoon when I was seated here where I'm staying, I had two visitors around, around half past four. I hear people are knocking, hey, hey, is there anyone in the house? Then I stood up, I said, yes, I'm here. I opened the door. There were two brothers who walked in and they immediately said, we are here to share the gospel with you. I said, wow, I love it. Come and speak to me about the gospel. When, when these guys were talking to me about the gospel, two things. One, they are not from this country. These guys are from America. They are missionaries. They are in South Africa to make sure that people receive the gospel. Immediately when I was busy just posing questions, encouraging them, the Lord spoke to me through these two guys who came in. I saw the confidence in them. I saw the joy of what they're doing. I saw that they fully depend on this thing that they're doing. They said, listen, we left our homes. We left everything good that we were doing. We are here for one thing and one purpose, to make sure people are receiving the gospel. When they left, I was busy going through the sermon. I met this word says, where is that joy that you had at first when you received me? Where is that joy? Where everything about Christianity, you were the first person to run to. When they were calling people for prayer, you were the first one to arrive at the church. Where is that joy? We used to tell people about Christ. We used to make sure everything we do in life, when we live, at work, at school, in our neighboring community, we made sure that Christ is known. But where is that joy? Why are we no longer doing it? Have we graduated from being the servants, from becoming witnesses of Christ? Where is that joy of salvation? I want us to read from the book of Acts chapter 2. From verse, Acts chapter 2 from verse 42 to, four, to verse 47. Where I'm going to speak about mainly the aspect of health of the church. There are many. I will check how many I can speak about. I want to speak about the health. Just this morning, when before I could come into the church, I was just sitting with Brother Natal and Mukwena outside, talking about the health, you know. Hey, I'm feeling pain here, that. They said, no, 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 no. You must really take care of that. If go and eat, if you haven't eaten, do something about your health. There is an age in everyone's life. You know that when this age comes, there are quite a number of things that comes to your health. 
And even when you can go to the doctor, the doctor will tell you, please take care of your health. Exercise. Check what you are eating. Check hours of your sleep. Because your health is the most important thing, especially when you grow up. I want us to speak about the health of the believers, the community of the believers, which is the church. I'm reading from the ESV version. It reads as follows. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wondered, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their positions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were saved. Hallelujah. I'm going to, I preached about this, I think I took it from verse 36 to verse uh, 41. Today I'm continuing the same sermon. But I'm going to take you back and always remind you of what I feel it's important that the Christian community needs to be reminded of. First, I know that people, we know what is the church. But I feel I'm obliged to, to, to remind you more and more to understand that the church is not any man's doing. It's not any man's idea. The church is the idea of God. The other thing, the church is not a building. This is good that we are gathering under this shade. But this building outside us, inside here, is not the church. It's just a beautiful building that is standing. The church is a community of believers. People that God has deployed by saving them and putting them together. That is the church. I'm glad with this church because since I've been here, I saw that we come from, you know, different languages, countries, and, you know, there are people from Nigeria, there are people from Ghana, there are people from Namibia, there are people from Venda, there are people from Bulobedu. We come from different places. But let me tell you something. It's not a mistake that you and me are meeting today because God chose you and deployed you into this place. That you and me can form this community that is called the church. We are in this place 
because God wanted you to be here. I am in this place because God wanted me to be here. So as a community of believers, we must understand why God has put us here. Why God has chosen you and put you in this, into this place. We are in the People's Church, a very beautiful name. Assemblies of God, a very beautiful name. But my question is, are you part and parcel of this community? Are you part and parcel? Are you a team player in this community of believers that is called the People's Church? Hallelujah. Amen. The word church, you know, um, I'm studying now at, 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 at a seminary where, you know, they're, they're helping us to understand how the Bible was originally written. So when we were busy studying, we understood that the New Testament was mainly written in Greek and the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. So when we always look at these terms and these themes for us to understand better, when I looked at the word church, comes from the word uh, ecclesia. And ecclesia was used in the New Testament to identify a community of believers in Christ. And this is who we are. Hallelujah. We are not just any community, but we are a community in Christ. What makes us to be to, to, to connect to one another is Christ. I don't know if you understand that. What makes you and me to come together in this place is still Christ. Hallelujah. Matthew chapter 16 from verse 13 to 18. It reads as follows. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? It's a very beautiful question. It's a question that I can pose it to you. Don't answer me back. I know you know what people are saying about who Christ is. I know you can answer that question easily. Because at school, they try to tell us who Christ is. At, 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 at wherever gatherings where we are, people tell us who Christ is. But listen, verse 14, and, he, and they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But Jesus, he asked them a question. He said to them, but who do you say, you, as an individual, who do you say I am? This is the question I need you to answer in your sight. Do you really know this Jesus? Do you really know? You heard what people are saying about him. Do you have an answer for yourself? Who do you, do you say? I am. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. 
Peter was not, when he answered, Jesus is, is telling him straight, it's not your wisdom to know who I am. You did not learn about me. Whatever you know about me, my Father in heaven has revealed it to you. John chapter 16, verse 4 to 15. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me where you are going. But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go. This is Jesus talking. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and he will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare to you. Jesus was talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit. Maybe just also to define, because I know we, we know what is the Holy Spirit. But let me emphasize this. The Holy Spirit is God. He's part of the Trinity. Let me put it well. God appears. If God is one, but he appears in three persons. He appears as a father. He appears as a son. He also appears as the Holy Spirit. We don't have three gods. We have one God, but who appears in three parts. So Jesus is saying, my work on earth is done. Whatever I came to do, it's over. I have to depart. There is somebody who must come. And he says when he comes, he's going to convict the world of sin. Acts chapter 1, verse 6 to 8, also it reads as follows. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times and seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, to the end of the earth. After Jesus 
you know, uh, resurrected, he went to the disciples. And when they saw him, they were so excited. They thought this is the time where the kingdom will be restored to them. But when they were still excited, Jesus said this way, it's not up to you to know. I'm glad our anchor spoke these words about the coming of Messiah. He said, he has sang this song about 30 years ago. Let me tell you something, it's still fresh. He's coming soon. It can be 30 years, it can be 50 years, it can be 100 years. The Bible tells us something that a thousand, thousand years to God is like a day. Whatever to us it's impossible to God is absolutely nothing. Let me remind and caution the church. We are in this place to make sure that when he comes, we are not left behind. You know the story of the ten virgin ladies? Don't be like the other five who relaxed in the church, who thought it's no longer coming, who thought this is a myth, this is not true, this is no longer happening. We are reminded he is coming and is coming back very soon. He said to them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. I'm going to jump to chapter 2 of Acts again. Peter, after he has received power, he sent this message to the children of Israel. He says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourself know, this Jesus delivered up according to the divine, definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawlessness men. God raised him up, losing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. Verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children. And for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord, our God, calls to himself. I'm just going to make this remark on this. God calls his own people. When the, when the word of God is preached, God is the one who saves God is the one who convicts the heart. And once the heart of a man, when I say man, I mean both genders, when the heart of man has been cut by the word of God, you will see that man's heart being softened. 
you will see the man becoming down, repenting, becoming so soft in his life. But if you, you are here and your heart is not cut yet by the word of God, you won't be able to repent. Repentance is not what you want to do. We are, we are enabled by God to be able to come to my wife and say, I am sorry. To come to a brother in the Lord after I have, I have wronged you to come and say, I didn't mean to hurt you. I am sorry. Where, where in this house where we are, God is expecting to see us as a community. In our diversity, by the way, to be able to live together. When I've done something wrong to you, I must come and say, I didn't mean it. And I must say it from my heart to say, I am sorry. This is what is expected. This can be done by people whom God has softened their heart. And God has cut their heart. From verse 42, where we have read, I spoke about aspects of a healthy church. The first thing that I, I noted, the Bible says, they devoted themselves to the teachings of the apostles. After somebody, after the Lord has called you, after the Lord has cut your heart, after the Lord has regenerated you, after the Lord has, has made you anew, the first thing that they, we see with the, with the church the first church that was there in the book of Acts chapter 2, we see them devoting themselves to doctrine. We see themselves devoting themselves to the teachings of the apostles. It is important that when you are saved, you must devote yourself to the teachings of the apostles. It is important that you must, you, you must devote yourself to the teachings of the scriptures. For you to be able to know what is that that you have to do and not do. We don't have any other manual. The Bible is our only manual. The Bible is the only one that can tell us what is right and what is wrong. As the church, we need to devote ourselves to the teachings of the apostles. Why the apostles? Maybe that is a question we may ask. These people were with the Lord Jesus during his ministry time on earth. They heard from him. They saw what he did. He actually taught them on their daily basis. Even after Jesus rose from the dead, that 40 days, they were with him. He actually taught them more. That's why after people heard the gospel, they went and sat down and said, tell us, what is that that is expected of us? What is that that we must do as the church? What is that that we must do as the community of believers? They dedicated their time to the teachings of the apostles. When I was going through the books, I, I, I found this quotation from Richard May you and John MacArthur saying, the teaching of scripture 
serves as a yardstick, as a gauge, as a standard, as a pattern, measure, and a plumb line by which all other teachings or on any given subject is determined to be true or false, received or rejected, sound or unsound, orthodox or heretical. There are many teachings today. Wherever we are, we hear people, people have ideas, people have views, even about Jesus. People have the way they think about Jesus. When you ask him, by the way, who is Jesus? Oh, you talk about the son of Mary. Who is Jesus? No, no, no. You talk about the, the prophet who was there. But we know that he is God. That's why it's important that you come and sit down at the teaching of the apostles, at the teaching of the scriptures, so that you can be sound in your doctrine. You can sound in what you, you believe in. You cannot be taken by any wind that comes. You can be able to stand and say, no matter what you say, this is what the scriptures are saying. This is true. This is my conviction. This is what I believe in. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 and 17, it says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and you have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scriptures is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be, a, may be complete Equipped for every good work. This word that we are talking about is not just the Bible. It's not one of the other books. The Bible says all scripture is breathed out by God. These are the very words that comes from our Almighty. When we listen to this word, we are listening to his voice. And when we adhere to what he's saying, we are actually adhering to what God, your own Father, your Savior is saying to you. There was a church in, in Berea, when you read Acts chapter 17, from 10 to 11. That church was one of the churches that when anyone comes and preaches, it doesn't matter who is the person. They do not just believe what this person is saying. You will preach. The Bible says they were always eager to receive. But after you have spoken, what they do? The Bible says, now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. As the church... We don't have to trust an individual. You don't have to trust me because I'm your pastor. After I've spoken, check what the scriptures are saying. Are they in line with what God is saying? This is the church that we must be in. This is the church, especially today, where there are a lot of voices, where there are a lot of convictions. Let's stick to the word. 
this word is true and amen will never disappoint you. If you stick with this word, you will never be let down. Hallelujah. The other point, these people def, you know, devoted themselves to fellowship, to the breaking of the bread. Communion. You read it in verse 42 and verse 46. The word fellowship also comes from a Greek word called koinonia. Koinonia meaning partnership and or sharing. So when, 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 when the people committed themselves into fellowship, they were actually committing themselves to partnership. They were actually committing themselves to sharing. When we come together as the church, we are not just coming as an individual. We are coming to share with our fellow brothers. We are here to know. You know, sometimes it's so bad that we come, we sit, we sing. And then after that, we just jump and go home. There are people among us who doesn't have even food to go and eat. There are people who doesn't even have shelter. Because immediately when we move out of here, it's like church is over. You know, I've attended service, it's fine with me. Let's know about other people. Find out, are you okay? Is there anything I can do to you? Are you fine? Do you need prayer? What is that that you need? We are a family. We are a community. One of us must not sleep without food in our presence. One of us must never sleep in jail. Must never while we are here because of anything that has happened to him. We are a community. We must be able to walk one another as people. Hallelujah. This is fellowship. This is fellowship. It's not an act. We don't act here. It's reality. There are people we don't know. Others have funerals. Wherever they are, they are looking. Where is people's church? I don't see them here. We are a community. And we are going to behave like one. Hallelujah. First John chapter 1, verse 3, it says this. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. The practice of fellowship consists of a sacrificial service towards other members of the body of Christ. When you read Philippians chapter 2, from verse 1 to 5, it says, So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ 
Jesus. This is what we are encouraged to do. This is what we are encouraged to do as the church. Look at others. Look at what they are short of. Always before you receive, give it to others. Make sure they are okay. Hallelujah. The practice of fellowship is premised on position of fellowship in Christ. When you read John 13, 35, it says, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's when we fellowship. That's when we fellowship. The other point that I'm going to try and go to my conclusion with is they devoted themselves to unity. We saw unity. They became together. A church without unity, a family without unity, any relationship where there's no unity, those people are not going anywhere. As the church of Christ, actually unity is the breath, the heart, the life of Christian life. We need to be united at all times. We need to put our differences away for the sake of the cause that brought us in here. Unity, this is what the church of Christ really need. The other one that they did also, they, they devoted themselves to offering. The giving that they did, if you read it, the Bible says they started to sell stuff so that others, they are, they are not in need. They looked at others and said, I have enough, but my brothers and sisters don't have. They sold stuff and gave the money so that no one among themselves was in lack. The giving was voluntary, not compelling. No one was, com was compelling people to do it. But after their hearts were cut, they understood that these are my brothers, these are my sisters. I have to do something for them. They saw a need, by the way, among themselves, and they gave from the heart. They saw that need. It's my prayer this morning that you too can see the need in this church where we are. It's my prayer this morning that you can see the need in your brothers, in your sisters, in your neighbors. See the need and let God touch your heart and be able to do The last one, they devoted themselves to worship. This is what they gave themselves to, to say we are going to worship God. On worship, you know, I, I always look at what we do, especially when we come to church. It's so beautiful. This one and a half hour. You may even say, but why can't we just stay here? Because after here, this thing is gone. This fellowship, this, this worship, this togetherness is gone. But I'm here to remind the church that worship is not an act. Worship is not an event. We don't do it in church. Worship is a lifestyle. As we live for Christ, we must continually worship him. You know, there is this verse um, 
in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, it says, So whether you eat or drink and whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. In everything you do, let God receive the glory. You remember the story of the Samaritan woman? As I'm reaching to my conclusion, the lady who came to Jesus, I mean, Jesus was there, he asked for water and all, there was this, Long stories, and he, you know, he asked, where is your husband? She said, I don't have. And he later said, yes, I know you don't have because the five that you had, if they, are not, if they were not even yours. Even the one that you have now, you took this person from somebody else. But these are the words that I love about Jesus when he spoke about worship. He said this to this, to this lady. Jesus said to her, woman, Believe me, the hour is coming when neither to this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Your worship, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is a spirit. Those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And when they were doing all these things that I've spoken about, this is my conclusion. The Bible says the Lord added to their number day by day those who have been saved. When we do all these things out of our heart, the Lord is going to add people in this house. We don't have to make noise. We don't have to try and buy people. You don't have to convince people by doing these things out of love, by showing unity, by worshiping God, by, you know, by dedicating ourselves to the reading of scripture. The Lord will bring people in this house. We have to do it ourselves. We have to do it ourselves. This is my last scripture. After that, we are going to pray. John 10, 6, 10, 10, 26. He says this words. You do not believe because you are not part of my flock. My sheep hears my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Once we are saved, we have this guarantee. Once the word of God has cut your heart, once God has called you, once you are in his hand, no one will snatch you out of you. No one. It doesn't matter. There is a verse that says, whether death, whether poverty, whether any other thing will be able to separate us from the love of God. This is who we are. This is the impact of what the Holy Spirit can do in our lives. Let's stand up on our feet. Without the Holy Spirit, our lives cannot be changed.
without him convicting you in your lives, in our lives, our lives will never be regenerated. We depend upon the Holy Spirit. He's the one who is at work now in our lives. God, from, from Genesis to Malachi, God has been at work. The, the, the Gospels, the four Gospels, Jesus was busy working until he went to the cross. Immediately after he left, he said, I'm not going to leave you by yourself. I'm going to leave you with the Holy Spirit. And he's here. He's with us now. He's here to convict our lives. He's here to change us. He's here, you know, to, to comfort us. He's available. I don't know much about your life. I don't know what you're going through. But he's here. By the way, even before you came in, he knew you were coming. Even before I'm doing whatever I'm doing, he already prepared that once you come in here, he's going to affect your life. He's going to change your situation. He's going to change everything in your life. He's here. He's just waiting. If you can say, Lord, here am I. I've heard your word. Your word has cut my heart. What can I do? He sees you. He sees your family situation. He sees what you are going through. He's available for you. He can change that situation. He can change it now. They're going to give us a song. I just want just two stanzas, three. Immediately after that, I want us to ask all of us to go and pray. But if you are available while we are praying and you say, I need a special prayer, come to the fort. I don't know what is it, but the Lord is here. He can change that situation. May God bless you.